I like to invest in things. I like to invest in things in a very tax advantage way to defer taxes as much as possible. And so I do all these things and I then think about how to scale help, scale of capital. And many, many times it helps significantly. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here together with the fabulous Julie Lamb. And as we're recording this, it's the end of the school year. So this week, my kids just wrapped up their last days at school. So summer vacation is fully official now with camps coming up and travel coming up. Julie is in Hawaii and my family and I are going to be doing a home exchange or a couple of home exchanges in France later this summer. So lots of adventures coming up. And so today I wanted to share a quick little story that came to mind as thinking about the conversation today that we have with um, Ang Tang. He's the founder and CEO of Tozy Capital. And for those of you who may not know, Tozy actually comes from the Chinese word Tozi, which means to invest. And so Ang talks about his roots, where he comes from, the experience that he's had, his journey along the way to building Tozi. But one thing that came to mind, he talks about how he was born in a refugee camp in Thailand and then later came to the States with his parents and always wanted to build toward that sense of financial security. And that was a big driving factor for him. And it made me think of when I was a little girl, I had this really clear memory of one day, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. I didn't know any entrepreneurs. I didn't know any wealthy people when I was growing up. My parents never bought a house the whole time that I lived with them. We were always renting. But I do remember at one point, I must have been maybe four or five years old. My mom told me this she was like, did you know there are some people who have so much money that uh, they live on the interest from the money that they have? And at the time, I thought, oh, my gosh. So and I was thinking like the biggest number I could think of at the time, which was one million. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So somebody might have one million dollars in the bank and then they have so much interest from that, from the bank, right? From a savings account. That was as big as I could think at the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, they have so much interest from that, that they can then just keep the million dollars in there, not spend any of that, but only spend the interest. How cool is that? So you always have that pot of money there. And of course, if you're listening to this, you know plenty, hopefully, about passive income. And you know it's everything that Julie and I talk about all the time. And Aang will talk about this on our conversation. It's such a great way to build that financial security and not just have that financial security so you can check that box. But what that financial security then gives you is the ability to make bold risks and to take adventures and to try new things in your life. And it's a big part of his journey. And it's what I've discovered in my journey as well. Once I discovered passive income, I went back to that story that my mom had shared with me. And I was like, oh, this is what she was talking about. Not just interest, although I think that's what she was thinking at the time. She didn't know much about passive income either. But she was just thinking about the only financial tool she had in her tool belt at the time, which was 
banks and interest rates. So now we know so much more about passive income and building multiple streams of passive income. And fast forward today, I've helped my mom to invest in many of our real estate offerings. And even though she's retired now, she still has income. And so she doesn't have to worry about running out of retirement savings because she always has that passive income. And she spends all day doing watercolor painting. And when she's not painting, she's talking about painting. (laughs) No income from that, but she's got tons of passive income from the real estate that she's invested in. And Ng talks about that as well, how so many of his investors have referred their parents to invest in the deals as well. And that's such a good sign of that trust. And it's a symbol that it's working because in order for you to bring your own mom and your own dad into a deal to put their capital potentially at risk is a big deal. And so you only want to do that with teams that you really, really trust. And so at the tail end of the show, we talk about that and how that's sort of a marker or a metric that he uses informally to measure his growth and his success. But Oh my gosh, in this conversation, we talk about so much. One thing that you should know about Aang is that he is not only investing in multifamily, but he has done lots of different things. He's opportunistic. He's always looking for the good opportunities and he's a tech guy. And so he's an early adopter of Bitcoin. So one big thing he's doing of late is investing in Bitcoin mining. And he'll talk about that and what that means and why, despite the ups and downs of Bitcoin itself, why Bitcoin mining can be such a relatively safe investment and with tax advantages, which that was the part that got me and why I initially became interested in Bitcoin mining was when I realized the tax advantages and As you may know, as we're recording this in the middle of 2022, this is actually the last calendar year where we're able to take advantage of that 100% bonus depreciation in that first year that you invest in a property and put it into service. And so that's a big deal, right? The cost segregation that we do, the accelerated depreciation, it all plays into these tax advantages, which is a big component of why real estate, Bitcoin mining, and these other types of investments that allow for depreciation, why they're so valuable, even above and beyond just the cash flow and the equity that you build. But as you may know, the tax advantages or the bonus depreciation, I should say, is starting to phase out. So in 2023, it'll be 80%. And then in 2024, it'll be 60%, then 40%, then 20%. If you're looking to learn more about that, check out our blog. It's at goodegginvestments.com slash blog. You'll find an article we recently wrote detailing that. But I don't want to derail us because there's so much good information in this conversation and so much inspiration, frankly, because Aang talks about all the things that he has done over the years, all the experience that he's had and that now he brings to the table as somebody who comes from really from a service mindset of really sharing all these things that he's learned to help others, whether or not they choose to invest with him. So 
for all of our listeners. I think you'll really, really enjoy this conversation. But before we dive in, one last thing. If you are new to the world of real estate syndications and you're curious, you want to learn about how it works, the different asset classes, why invest in multifamily, how it all works, what the process is, what the potential returns are, what the risks are, the tax advantages, as we just talked about. A great place to start is to get a copy of our book. It's called Investing for Good, and we have a free hardcover copy for all of you. Just go to goodeginvestments.com slash book. All right, with that, let's dive into our conversation with Ang Tang. Ang, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. We're thrilled to have this chance to talk to you. Now, Aang, I know that these days you're investing in and helping others to invest in so many different things from multifamily to senior living, Bitcoin mining, data centers, energy, and so much more. And I also know, though, that you've had many, many experiences prior to this in a variety of different areas in industry. So before we get into all the investments and that side of things and what you're doing now, start by taking us back and sharing a little bit of the journey that led you to where you are today. Yeah. Thanks for asking that question, because I think it's a much more interesting part of this conversation, hopefully. And it also forms what I think is my core philosophy for what I do now and why I'm doing it and above. Um, I was born in a refugee camp in Thailand. My parents are Cambodian and we came here when I was three, but the stories of the refugee camp this is hauntingly familiar, hauntingly familiar as it is now in Ukraine and what's happening there. It's formed sort of with the identity of what my parents are, which are folks who came here without any education, without any opportunity, and built it themselves and hustled. And for me, growing up very poor in LA, I was lucky to be very good at math. And fast forward a few years, I got into day trading because of pretty good pattern recognition. And this is actually in like a high school. And before we had like mobile phones, we could like do anything on your phone. So I had to like go to the library and then put a trade in between periods. Uh, so you actually did this in high school, in between yeah, yeah, your yeah, classes. Yeah. So you would like go to the library, get on the computer at the school library, and you would be trading in between exactly. classes. <laughs> when yeah. most kids are in the hallways at their lockers, gossiping, talking about prom and all this stuff, you're like doing day trading in the midst of all this. <laughs> it, it was a fascinating experience. It was all more for like, I didn't have money. I want to make money. And I, what I know could make money. And so when I went to college, I went to Wharton and I went to study economics and finance. thought, okay, that makes money. Let me become an investment banker. I was also pretty good at statistics. So I played a lot of poker, won a couple of tournaments and played well against the pros and used that to cover my tuition. And it's just sort of this like story of like not having much, wanting to have security and then using security as you know education to then build up what we thought was security. But then the financial crisis happened. I was investing in banking. Financial crisis happened. And really what mostly reflected to me was that there's no security in having a job and stocks can go down, up and down. I actually really didn't like the volatility. I'm actually a very bad poker player when it comes to betting large sums of money. I'm very good at the abstract, which means like in a tournament setting, I'm really good at it because it's all abstract. It's not like an actual money, but in a cash game, it's actual money like, okay, 
if I pet $6,000 here, I know it's an 84% chance of winning and I should do it almost every time. <laughs> like, it's in my mind, like, I still have to figure out, like, should I buy the $5 both? <laughs> so it sort of just formulates sort of in my mind. And all of my life has been more about trying a lot of things, figure out what I don't like and what I'm good at. And what I didn't like was volatility. What I didn't like was losing money. And it's not like you can't lose money in investing, but when you think about passive income investing or cash flow investing, which is what I have gravitated towards since that time, and buying my first property, Triplex, uh, when I was 23, right before, right after the financial crisis happened, it's a good timing. And then really getting the sense that I get $1,000 a month. Yes, I had to do some work to get there, a lot of learning. It's paid off dividends, of course, but it gave me a sense of like, Confident freedom and security. I'm sure you guys espouse this in your good egg investments. That's why we connect very well on that. It's this feeling of security when you didn't have it in the past and you see it sometimes in the wrong avenues and you over rely on it, right? As a job. And that creates, when you over rely on anything, it creates stress. Then you have a stressful relationship with the job, stressful relationship with money. And so for me, it materialized through having that first triplex and then going to the Peace Corps, making a lot more money to making a lot less, $20 a month. That was our stipend. We had to pay, use that for housing as well. So we really wanted $100 a month to live. Remember my wife there? That's a story in, in itself. And then came to back to America and started working in tech and media and jobs in analytics and data science and product. Most recently, worked at Apple, where I, I led teams in the data science in Surrey, where we analyzed trillions of records of intent data and worked on growing Apple Music before that. But all this time, all these various jobs, even in the Peace Corps, I've been buying real estate. I've been investing. And it's really an understanding of like being able to create a secondary stream of income that gave me this confidence to even make those career moves. And that's something that sort of this hidden thing that we don't talk about enough. Having confidence to make bolder moves, having capital confidence, uh, money security allows you to make those bolder moves. And if you're bolder in your career, you likely, there's a strong correlation of that creating more economic value to you versus not having that security, not knowing that you can't challenge your boss for that. You can't do this. You can't ask for that raise. You can't do this. And knowing that you have a backup plan of just having this base security. So full circle, that's my background in economics and finance, a bunch of things in tech, been investing all the time. And along the way, I started to invest in Bitcoin as well, 2013, mostly as a transaction source as, as well as interesting technology. I love early adoptive things. I'm one of the first people with a board ape as well <laughs> and NFTs. That's not doing so well, but you know, it's always interesting to get into things early and see where and new things occur where smart people go and how it can be leveraged and used for everything else you do. So anyways, uh, that's more of my side of my curious side of things. I, and I started Tozy Capital two years ago, or really three years ago. And I was working at Apple at the time. I started Tozy Capital and I had this epiphany moment. It correlated with me going on intermittent fasting for the first time. So the first time I started fasting, I really had all these ideas and I should just act on it because the opportunity cost was always so high for me, right? Like I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. The opportunity cost of leaving a job, especially when you have a job like I had, going in handcuffs, 
kind of going after us, maybe relatively, but still, nevertheless, it's a huge opportunity cost. I couldn't find anything that could make even the same amount of money. So you just don't do it. And every year it gets harder. Every year after that, it gets harder. Then you might regret things. So for me, what happened was I started fasting. I started really thinking of all the things I knew. And then I had this like Jerry McGuire moment where I'm not sure you saw Jerry McGuire, where he had this manifesto, like, like he wrote it down. For me, I was, I created a deck <laughs> as I do. I actually create a lot of decks in my corporate life. And it's one of those funny things where like, I would never use this outside corporate America. But yes, I, I use deck making all the time now. <laughs> Just really visually storytelling. And so for me, I created a deck and the deck was more about the tax benefits of real estate investing. Because <laughs> it was like, I knew about it, it was sort of so innate in sort of an understanding that I just assume everything knew about it. And the more and more I talked to these really smart engineers, people who are making products and features that are affecting billions of people, you know, releasing the most technologically advanced stuff, their IQ on the financial literacy side was limited. And they didn't know about these things. And if you're working at Apple or any of these high-flying Silicon Valley companies, you get a lot of stock compensation. And that's pretty much all your equity, as well as your primary home, which grows a lot because everyone has money in San Francisco Bay Area, where we lived for years. And so for me, it was realizing there's such an interesting disconnect that they had I didn't know about, and that I was kind of uniquely positioned to speak to them in their own language, in their own terms, as an engineer, as a tech person, as somebody who's not talking about as a CPA or a real estate investor, or like them, like, hey, I'm one of you. And that really just gave me an idea that I could do this more and more, that people were grabbing towards me. And then I launched Tozy Capital with a couple of commercial real estate deals that I would have typically done anyways myself, but with scale and capital grouping syndication, it really helped accelerate it. And then now I had 1,300 investors plus 25 deals and it's a crazy ride. <laughs> I think it's such an important point you bring up around having that baseline of security there. I mean, it's almost like the basic human needs, right? If you don't have food and shelter covered, you can't think of anything else. You can't dream big. You can't think of contribution and growth because you're just trying to feed yourself and make sure you have a roof over your head. And it's the same what you're talking about. Having that real estate investment there is like the baseline, right? You know that at the bare minimum, you've got that financial security there to fall back on, which as you've mentioned throughout your journey has been that fallback that has allowed you to take those bolder risks and go on those adventures and have that impact that you want to have, which as you mentioned, so many people are held back by because all they have is that one single stream of income, which when you get up there every year that you're getting those promotions and those additional stock options, it's harder and harder because you've got those golden handcuffs. So it's a bigger pot to walk away from, but at the same time, you know, it's keeping you from these bigger opportunities like what you've built now through Tozy. I'm really curious, before we dive into the investment side of things, I'm curious what your parents have thought through all of this, through the day trading in high school. And then, of course, I'm sure they were really proud when you went to Wharton. And then after that, buying a real estate property, a triplex at 23. Have they had any experience with real estate or investing? Or what do they think about all these things that you've been up to? Yeah, 
It's funny, they were ecstatic that I got into Warten. I had to explain what that was, but you know, set the context, celebrate. And then they were ecstatic that I got all these companies. I had to explain what those companies are, although I didn't have to explain Apple. So, and they were like so confused and bewildered when I told them I'm going to the Peace Corps. It's like, I'm going to this war torn country that was just invaded by Russia. And they're very poor. We live in a village and I'm going to live the village life. And they were like, you know, we, we came from that. Yeah. We, we left that. Yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> that was challenging. And then leaving Apple was also a little bit mm-hmm. of like sense of security. I think at this point, I realized I know what I'm doing, hopefully. <laughs> so they did have an experience in real estate, but they're really my role models for entrepreneurship. They leveraged what they knew and leveraged what they could and they own business. So they started a jewelry business. I didn't think they even knew anything about jewelry, but they made it work. And so I think for me, a very strong North Star is like getting my family out of poverty. And then kind of once that happened, I was kind of aimless, which is why you kind of have like beyond that, how do you even get to the next thing? And then for me now, it's like having two kids, two young boys, one and a half and four, almost four, and just trying to make the most of it. And now it's about helping the people I do help. I had this really interesting conversation last yesterday i was in austin meeting a very smart guy he was cto of texas under bush and perry and he has 35 patents and a lot of accomplishments he's working on some really amazing things uh, he's retired mid 50s and he just didn't think about passive income i wasn't even going to talk about that with him we were talking about this new technology stuff and energy because he managed the energy contracts in texas it was such an interesting conversation but then he was like asking me about like, oh, but you have some real estate. You isn't so how much work? Isn't like how do I get? Because he's always had, had exits and he had like a lot of stocks and that doesn't really it's a, it's a number in an account, it's a number on a screen. How does it like affect you? And he was asking, man, if I had only twenty thousand dollars a month, which is a lot, of course, but for him you now that the network he has. Very doable. $20,000 a month. I could have so much more time to think about doing all these things. And my wife would also get my back. It's such an easy solution. It's like, oh yeah, I have some options for you if you want. And so I thought it was like encapsulates what a lot of these folks that I work with now, probably you guys as well, where they have such busy lives and just giving them that one sense of comfort in their life allows them to be more exponential in their other parts because money is and really just a tool. The tool for comfort, tool for convenience, tool for security. Growing up with security, you know what it means to not have money, but you also know what it means to have little of it, so you don't necessarily need all of it. So yeah, I have somewhat different relationship with money now. I love that this is called the Life Plus Money Show. I think being comfortable with money in all its forms, and it's really a learning that none of us really gets taught. And the fact that you guys are doing it at this scale, I mean, definitely applaud you guys. There's so many parallels between our journeys. It's actually uncanny. I went to Penn at the time. I didn't know enough about business. I was like, Wharton, I am not going to Wharton. Actually, if I had it to do over, I probably still wouldn't go to Wharton. But I loved my experience in the College of Arts and Sciences with the liberal arts education and taking some Wharton classes. That was interesting. Came out of this Ivy League school and then I told my parents I was going to do Teach for America. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what do you mean? You're going to teach elementary school? They're like, no, no, no. You went to this Ivy League school. You're supposed to get this high-flying paid job. And same, they didn't 
didn't understand a lot of what I was doing or why I was doing it either. But now as they've seen, as you've mentioned, as people learn about the power of passive income and what that can create for them at any level, whether they're just starting out building wealth or they've already had successful careers. I mean, it's astounding how many people we talk to as well, who we think from the outside, we're like, oh, they're so successful. They must know all about passive income. They must have so many streams of passive income. And you start to talk about it and you realize, oh, wait a second. In many ways at the starting line, they're trying to figure this out. They're quite successful, but they haven't had this mindset shift around passive income, which is why what you're doing is so impactful and makes such a big difference in so many people's lives. Okay. So you started Tozy, you said two or three years ago. And so you started it with multifamily investments that you were going to do anyway. And so you were in a way just bringing those to people you knew through that manifesto that you had created around the tax savings, right? And people got interested in that. And you were like Jerry Maguire with the box and you're walking out the door and you're like, come with me. And people were like, yeah, we'll come with you, Ang. Right. And then, so they're coming with you, they're investing. And was that the proof of concept? Was that like you put out those deals and then you were like, okay, now I know this will work now I can continue. Were you thinking at the time you would do more real estate deals? Were you thinking it would be all sorts of different opportunities? Yeah, I thought it was all real estate deals. I thought I was going to do four deals a year, which is a lot, right? As you guys know, it's a lot of deals. It's a lot of work doing deals, a lot of work acquiring and managing deals. And I thought that would have been insufficient for give me the freedom and then the capacity to continue educating and working on other stuff that fits into what I wanted to do for our community, our investors um, and my family. And then it just blew up from there, realizing that I had this potential to simplify things a lot more than others have done. And I also have a natural curiosity with things. So who's personally an investor, an LP, passive investor in many things, I saw there was other things that we could be doing that we could be presenting, right? I don't necessarily have to do it. There was more of a presentation of the opportunity or the education of the opportunity, where there is like a multifamily that I'm not necessarily sponsoring and operating because I'm not geographically located there. I don't have the expertise or a senior living development, or it's some, some of other more interesting deals like oil and gas. So it's more of a continuation of like, Tozy Capital is me. I'm Tozy Capital. I like to invest in things. I like to invest in things in a very tax advantage way to defer taxes as much as possible. And so I do all these things and I then think about how the scale help, scale of capital. And many, many times it helps significantly. And so there's lots of benefits in this case. So I'm curious about all the different things that you've done. So you've done oil and gas, you've done Bitcoin mining, you've done senior living and apartments. Is that kind of the scope of it? Did they leave anything out? I've done some pre-IPO investing opportunities with SpaceX and then some consumer credit and factoring business. So just good cash flow. And then we're working on a few other things here and there. Really a lot of it's about the ecosystem of understanding what opportunities exist, what arbitrage there are, and then what actually helps our investors. So it's always really powerful to know them, to talk to them, to understand tax implications of a lot of this stuff. It's very powerful, especially if you live in California, not a very tax-friendly state. 
Yeah, I love it. I love that in the last year only for us, we've started to diversify a little bit and we've started to move into hotels and storage a little bit more seriously and multifamily as well. And I personally have done some investing in ATMs and Bitcoin mining as well. And so from an investor standpoint, I think it's um, advantageous for everyone who's out there who's investing in something to be involved in many different things. Annie does, she does all kinds of wild things like I think she even does like some art investing or something. We invest in some art. Yeah. Also, like she does all things. kinds of cool stuff. <laughs> so that's really cool because I think it's interesting to think, you know, one of the hardest things I think as an LP is to get to know a group that you're going to work with, right? Because we all know it's not just about the opportunities that people bring, but it's about the people that you're working with. And that's so important. And that takes time, right? Like you don't just meet someone and then, okay, it's going to work, right? And so to be able to, it's kind of like a one-stop shop to be able to go and meet with you, learn about who you are, learn about your story, and then know that there's all these different types of investments available to invest in is awesome. It's a great opportunity for someone. So talk Talk to us a little bit about, as you mentioned, like looking for the value add, looking for the arbitrage, looking for the ability to either make money or save on taxes. How do you sort of compartmentalize each of the things that you've done in buckets? Like I'm assuming one of them might be like tax savings. Another one might be cash flow. Another one might like talk to us about those buckets and sort of how you see all of the different things that you do sort of falling into each of those buckets and what are they? I think they're mutually exclusive, but the three things I focus on in this thread here, even though it does seem like all I can disparate types of investments, the thread is tax advantage in some nature. Not all of it is, but significant portion of it is like our senior living. We have senior living that obviously we do a lot of cost segregation on, like every real estate investment, but I also have senior living in opportunity zones, so which was great tax advantage for capital gains. The second thread here is cash flow. Not all of our investments have cash flow, but the majority of our investments have cash flow. And I try to make it monthly as much as I can. All investments can do that, but as where it can, it gives you this feeling. And this feeling is actually as powerful as everything else. The feeling of just having an income, right? Like we pay our bills every month. If we get our payments in from, from our investments in every month, even if we don't need it, most of these folks don't need that money. In fact, it's just more about hey, this coming in and giving them the optionality to invest it somewhere else. And then the third is investor-friendly structure where we kind of de-risk for our investors, we prioritizing them in the income stack or in the capital stack, which means that we're not necessarily trying to get give you guys, investors, the biggest returns. It's more about the safest or not even safest, but like the most consistent, the most returns. For me, it's I would like to invest. So a lot of these things are about getting cash flow, and then tax amortizing. The whole point is you make a lot of money, you're able to then reinvest it. All those money that you make should also be very tax advantage that you keep deferring, deferring, and you keep earning more your money. You can compound and grow powerfully to a point where people can then have the freedom, the freedom of choice to continue what they're doing, but in a more carefree way or choose another path in their careers. The only thing they could have done without that fashion security. We'll get back to our conversation with Aang in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. 
Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now, back to our chat with Ang Tang. I think it's so interesting because throughout this whole conversation, something that keeps coming up is this word security. And it's so fascinating because I don't know that I really thought about it that way. That thought about that this is like the goal and this is like what I'm after in creating passive income streams is creating that sense of security. That's what everything comes back to is this sense of security. And that's what drives us to create passive income and create more cash flow so that we can live our lives and do what we love and not have to worry so much about where we're going to put food on the table or where we're going to be able to put a roof over our head. I always say like worst case scenario, like all things hit the fan. I can move to Michigan and live in one of my duplexes with my whole family. (laughs) And so it's so true. You know, it's like everything we do is all about this feeling. You said the words feeling a sense of security. And that's wild. And I think it's so important because I think that's so much of why I do it as well. And I think a lot of it goes back to how we were brought up and coming from a place of not having a lot when we were in our childhoods. And so it's just really interesting. That word keeps coming up too. So that's awesome. I want to transition a little bit selfishly because we haven't really had anyone on the show where we're talking about Bitcoin, specifically talking about Bitcoin mining. So a lot of people out there might have heard of Bitcoin. They might know, I'm sure, otherwise you're living under a rock, you know what Bitcoin is. Maybe a lot of people don't know what it is and how it works within society and all of these things and potentially replacing our current cash system and all of these things. But Bitcoin mining specifically is like a whole nother like thing. It's like a part of Bitcoin that makes Bitcoin what it is. It's almost like a necessary thing that needs to happen. But I would love to spend a little bit of time on the show today talking about that because you are the only person that I know that's doing Bitcoin mining that I know of. I'm sure there's other people that are doing that. But talk to us a little bit about it. What is it? Maybe give us the high level overview. What does Bitcoin mining mean? How then does that translate over to being a passive investor, what does it mean to invest in Bitcoin mining? What is it and how does it work and apply to an LP investor? Broad question. And 
I've answered this many times. I really like this question because we talked about security. Well, Bitcoin goes up and down a lot. That doesn't seem secure. And like, what's like, why are you doing Bitcoin mining? Well, I think Bitcoin mining is a real estate version of with the commodity outcome of not just cash flow from Brent, but cash flow in the form of Bitcoin. And that does go up and down, but it's dollar cost averaging cash flow. So getting to the nuts and bolts of Bitcoin mining, or really, I think you got to get into the nuts and bolts of Bitcoin a little bit. There are going to be 21 million Bitcoin ever mined in the world. 19 million, it has been mined or released. I would say around four to five million is like forgotten due to deaths or you know, people losing the keys and stuff. But every 10 minutes, one lucky miner or one computer gets 6.25 Bitcoin. And that's what mining is. It's just validating transactions. If you send me Bitcoin, a miner, a computer, and you can think of it as a big desktop computer, loud fans, it runs very hot, it runs around 150 degrees, very hot and very high decibels. So you want to put it in your house, you know, your spouse will kill you, as I found out. I'm curious, and real quick, sorry to interrupt you, but why are they like, I know that this is how it works, but why? Why do they have to be so big and like crazy, like computers when they first started like 20, 30 years ago or however long it's, I guess it's more than that now, but why does it have to be so big? Like, why can't it be like the size of our phone and not so hot and all of this? What's behind that? Yeah, it's a very good question. A lot of the new technology of cooling has been really mass manufactured for our phones, but the production output, right? If your phone gets hot, that means it's like processing a lot of stuff. And with Bitcoin mining, you just want to process as much as possible. You want to process, process, process. You're solving a mathematical problem, like a Rubik's Cube. And the one who solves it gets 6.25 Bitcoin. So you're very much incentivized to process as much as possible. And so we haven't really tried to focus on cooling or making it smaller because that's really about making it more efficient and more portable, consumable. This is more about raw muscle power. And if you went to a data center, AWS data center or a Facebook data center, that's also a very similar structure, like these raw, powerful computers running very hot, very loud. It's actually very similar kind of thing if you know what data centers look like. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. That makes perfect sense because it's not about making it compact and all of these things. It's just about doing as much as you can. So that makes perfect sense. Okay. Yeah. Let's come back to the story. <laughs> <laughs> Miners are computers. They're not people. And they work, computers work as long as they have power and they have good cooling. And the economics of the mining is if you have, you put a capex in the form of those computers, and you have OPEX in the form of power. Bitcoin mining essentially is transforming electrons into Bitcoin, transforming power into Bitcoin. It's paying for power at six cents per kilowatt hour and making 22 cents of Bitcoin as an outcome. And so it's a very simplistic model and very simple model. So Bitcoin mining is, anyone who wants to get Bitcoin mining, you can just buy a computer Hopefully you buy from the right source and you're able to just plug it in and then you start mining Bitcoin. There may be like a 30-minute tutorial you need to watch on YouTube to figure it out. It's actually not that hard, but you're going to pay residential power costs, which is very expensive. You're going to have not necessarily the ideal heating environment for it. You buy one of something, it's going to be kind of expensive. You buy a thousand of something, you can get better purchasing power, 10,000 even better. And so... Bitcoin mining has really shifted to institutional investments, industrial scale investments. In the past, it was all, everyone had a couple of computers at home. I did as well. And we were mining Bitcoin. 
But now, because of how profitable and how industrialized it is, it's all about creating as much cheap source of power, whether it's being on an oil drilling plant, using the flare gas, or being right next to solar and wind, which is where a lot of our facilities are, or next to a hydro power plant. Right, third of all power produced is lost because it's not transmitted to the right consumption. Power production is typically not done where power consumption is, and so what Bitcoin mining does is allows you to consume power at the source of production. Half of electricity cost usually comes from transmission. So for us, I saw a huge grid upcharge to essentially get really cheap source of power. And Bitcoin mining, simplest way to think about it is it's an option contract to buy Bitcoin at $12,000. And when Bitcoin is at $20,000, it's not as good. When Bitcoin is at $100,000, it's very strong. But it's the cheapest way to get Bitcoin. And if you believe in Bitcoin, long-term future Bitcoin, or if you don't, because it's a liquid market, you just sell it, get cash. And so for Bitcoin mining, for our investments, like it's just somebody invests, say, 50, 100K, they own a piece of the income stream. They get Bitcoin every month or cash every month, depends on what you want. And we mine Bitcoin every day. We're mining around five Bitcoin a day now. And so that has obviously a lot of value and it has more value when it goes up, more, less value when it goes down, but it's just consistent value. The other part of Bitcoin mining that I love is the tax benefits. How does Amazon, how does all these big tech companies get away with not paying those taxes? Depreciation. Same thing we do for real estate. Hardware depreciates at a faster rate, at least in the tax code. Computers can be accelerated to 100% depreciation. And 2022 presents the last year where we can take 100% of that. Next year, I think it's 80%. So investors who invested with us in this Bitcoin mining, like you guys, get 100% depreciation of that miner in the first year. So a pretty significant benefit, especially for investors. So that's like on the investing side. I think one of the things that I think about is the next, just only 2 million Bitcoin left in the world. And I'm not going to really go into depth of like why I love Bitcoin. It's best hard money. It's a great source of, you know, store of wealth, but it'll take 120 years to mine those last 2 million Bitcoin. And everyone after China ban happened, everything's moving to Texas. As far as in Texas, five times the last seven weeks, setting up operations and working on some data centers. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that we're a huge producer of power and computers acquired at scale creates so much arbitrage of that potential. So I would love to buy Bitcoin for the rest of my life at $12,000 because I do think that it will be above that. Uh, so Bitcoin mining is sort of a, I think just a better way to get into Bitcoin. But even if you don't care about Bitcoin, it's just a good diversification of passive income. How does the increase and the decrease of Bitcoin affect the Bitcoin mining investors? So as it goes up, obviously yeah. it's better, but as it goes down, is there like a break-even sort of like with multifamily, we have like break-even numbers. How do you yeah. talk to an investor about that? There's certainly a break-even number, but I also want to highlight this other interesting correlation. Bitcoin mining in some ways, it's just a zero-sum game. It's not like real estate where you have a growing population. You don't have a growing population of Bitcoin to be mined. It's fixed, it's finite. That's the nature of Bitcoin. That's the draw of it. That is fixed, that the inflation of Bitcoin is like 3% and next year, in two years, it'll be 1%. And there's only a certain amount of Bitcoin that we mine every 10 minutes. So if you and I were the only people mining Bitcoin, we would share that Bitcoin reward. 
And then if somebody joins us, then we would share, we'll take a third less. And same thing with more miners coming in. How do, why would more miners come in? Bitcoin price goes up. It becomes very profitable. That's what happened last year. It became very profitable. A lot of people got into Bitcoin mining. When Bitcoin price goes down, it becomes less profitable. A lot of people who have high power costs, energy inefficient machines, becomes more unprofitable. There's our machines, the latest gen machines without power prices. Our profit break even is 12,000 Bitcoin. But other machines close to 25,000 Bitcoin. And even some machines are 30,000 Bitcoin. Because those constitute a significant portion of the miners, we do have a very interesting correlation where when Bitcoin goes up, we make less Bitcoin because more people want to invest in Bitcoin mining. There's a natural supply constraint of the silicon chips that go into making the plant. So you can't just like immediately turn it on. So it's a bit of a lag. But on the other side, if Bitcoin goes down, the outcome is you make more Bitcoin because you have less competition. And now the Bitcoin is worth less. But if you think of it as a long-term hold, it's very interesting. So our break-even is 12000 right now. If Bitcoin is at 15000 we're still making money. And of course, that's on a monthly level. If Bitcoin stays flat for a long time at 30000 we're making less money, but we'll probably have less competition. And ultimately, it's still you net outside better than just buying Bitcoin. Did you anticipate that Bitcoin was going to fall out like it did over the last couple of months? Or what are your thoughts around that? I didn't anticipate that, but I also don't necessarily focus on something that I can't really control. Yeah. I did anticipate that when I first launched my first fund, I launched it last year in March. And if you guys remember what Bitcoin was, it was around 60,000 in yeah. March. <laughs> and then it went to 30,000 in May. Sounds very familiar, guys. Uh, seems like we're in deja vu this year. Yeah. Lots of different things than last year, of course. But last year was driven by China banning Bitcoin mining and then exodus of Bitcoin miners from that location to here. That's back quickly afterwards. This is obviously driven slightly different. Lack of capital, liquidations, and other macroeconomic reasons. But one thing that happened was like we launched it with this expectation, but it actually played out exactly how we directly how we, we thought it would, which was Bitcoin would be worth less, but we mined more Bitcoin. And even at 30,000, we were very profitable. Last year, we were at profit margins of 85%. It was great. I missed those times. We were giving people at one month 11% monthly returns. My expectation delivering to investors was only 3 to 5% delivering consistently 8%, 9%, 10% returns, uh, 85% profit margin. Today, we're closer to 55% profit margin. Not bad. It's not obviously pretty good. I would love it to be a little bit higher. But because our cost is fixed, if it goes down, we get incrementally less. If it goes up 20%, Bitcoin goes up 20%. Because our cost is fixed as well, our returns actually go up way more than 20%. So there's a leverage benefit to Bitcoin. But the fact that you also get that big tax benefit and you probably won't sell that hardware so you won't get recaptured. It's also a pretty good benefit. So. Yeah. I think it's so interesting. You had mentioned something about like the machines that you're able to get. And it's kind of like investing in a group, right? Because we have so much money to invest in a syndication or a group where we pull out all of our money, we're able to sort of get better economics, the overall better returns for everyone, the GPs, the LPs, everyone. And it sounds like that's true here too, right? In Bitcoin mining, like because we come together and because we are able to invest so much money together, 
as a group, we're able to buy better machinery that then increases sort of that profit margin that we're able to then return to the GPs as well as, well as the LPs too. It's interesting. When I first learned about Bitcoin mining, I didn't really see the, the correlation and until I learned a little bit more about it. And I saw, wow, this is so similar to multifamily in many different ways with the depreciation ability as well for taxes and whatnot. So this is so interesting. We probably should have just done like a separate show just talking about Bitcoin mining because there's so much more that we could probably dive into to really get into the weeds. So maybe we'll have you back for another show just to talk about that and all the other things because all the other things like oil and gas is another thing that I would love to talk about, especially with everything going on right now too. But we have to come to that point in our show where we're going to ask you a couple of questions around the life. It's going to be the Life and Money Show Spotlight Round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? I think the one thing I'm doing is really emphasizing my goal of freedom. And it sounds talking about having traveled to Austin and traveling this, this now doesn't sound free, but it's because I see opportunity. And I just want to do it. I don't have to do it. And it's the same thing that I do with all investments. Like there's actually investments that I could do that could make a lot more money. It's a lot more work and that's not freedom. <laughs> and so the scaling of time is actually way more for me. It's about partnering with really great people partnering and scaling that those relationships, scaling the time and it's all kind of culminated in, in sort of what I want to get out of my life. Yeah. It's such a tricky thing. I feel like that very point that we're talking about right now, this idea of freedom, but wanting to build and scale and seeing opportunity is a conversation that I've been having over and over again with so many people, specifically within our coaching program. I know it's a conversation that Annie and I have been having pretty frequently over the last couple of months as well, is you know seeing the opportunity, knowing you can go for it, knowing what you could do, knowing what you could build, but then that really, the freedom kind of goes away, right? And it almost becomes like trading one job for another, even though you love it so much and you're passionate about it, it's tough. So maintaining, working with people that you love and making sure that this, everything that we do is fun, I think is so much a part of Annie and I's philosophy too, about making sure that we're very careful about who we work with and, and all of that. So that's good. Well, good luck on your journey. I know how hard it is because it's hard for me to pull back. I'm like, I see it. I know what I need to do. And, but I can't because I need to have have some freedom and some downtime and not kill myself in the process of getting there. So I love that. All right. Well, second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that'll make an impact in others' lives right now? I think well, there's two. One is very direct. One is just uh, pay your kids $12,000 or whatever amount that's the minimum threshold that essentially just shift your top line AGI to someone else who has no taxable income and you pay your kids. The second is really just optimizing capital. A lot of us just don't think about optimizing capital. Optimizing capital means to know where credit portfolio of all your holdings. Your holdings should be real estate. Or do you have a huge amount of equity? Is it optimized being stuck in there? A HELOC could be helpful. Equities in Apple stock or wherever stock you have a significant amount of. An SB lock is helpful. Securities backline credit. It's actually just reallocating money is, and we start thinking about it as a whole life as portfolio. And then you really start making really interesting decisions based on like, oh, I should do that. 
because I should take that loan. I'm not advocating to using all loans to you know live beyond the means, but from a capital allocation perspective, like oh, I shouldn't put more than twenty percent down because I'm borrowing at four percent rate or whatever rate is now because I can invest it in ten percent, right? So knowing the opportunity cost, that's optimizing capital. Yeah, I think it's important to, in my mind, I look at it as sort of like layering your investments, right, with to have many different tiers so that your dollar is working as hard as it possibly can. I always talk about this. When you have a dollar, some people think, oh, well, I have my dollar in a CD and that's good because I'm getting whatever, half a percent or whatever it is, right? And that's it. And they don't think like further down the line. And so that's one of the things that I've loved ever since I got more serious about investing is thinking about the layers and how far you can sort of take that dollar and make it work as super hard as possible to earn the most for you and to do the most. And so taking it a step further. And so, like you said, looking at that HELOC, right? If you've got a bunch of equity trapped in there, how can I make the most of it? Is it selling a property? Is it taking a HELOC loan? Is it how? We had a guest on the show a while ago where he talked about something about not doing a HELOC. It was kind of similar to that, where it was like pulling out the money from the equity from the property to then invested in looking at the difference of the cost of pulling that money out and then the money it could potentially earn, things like that. So I love that. That's a great tip. And I think it's true. Most people just stop at like, I'll buy a property or I'll buy real estate. Like that's it. My money's working for me. But when you take it like a step further and a step further, you can really see like how you can make your money work super hard for you. So I love that. All right. Last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? Very big responsibility to try to make the world a better place. I think everyone should try to focus on how to make your world a better place. And your world doesn't necessarily, it shouldn't just include yourself. It should include those around you, those who you know, those who you can help, those who you can reach. And for me, a lot of it has been a journey of, yes, being an investment manager of sorts, but also just being a advisor on finances, advisor on finances. Giving people a sense of security, being of service is such the most powerful thing that I can do, that I want to do, that gives me the best feedback. And I know you guys do that. And so I'm sure that drives you a lot. And the fact that you know, that gives me a sense of responsibility and when something doesn't go right as well, right? If you don't care about it, then you don't care that you lose it as well. And for me, it's but I've had a few people call me and say, I can't thank you enough. My parents invest with you. And they have income for the first time. Quit their jobs 10 years ago. They haven't had income. They've been insecure about it. They have a lot of money, but they just have been insecure about it. And so just giving people that security against talking back to that whole concept has been allowing people to then be free and then talk about other stuff. So I can do it one by one, do it with a thousand people. And hopefully that'll just expand as we create more content. I do remember seeing that metric in one of your emails about measuring the number of moms of investors who are investing in your deals, which I think is so brilliant because if you trust somebody enough, you'll bring your parents in. And that's such a great way to measure that impact and that success. So I think the listeners will agree with me and Julie when we say that you are such an inspiration and you have such a huge impact. Tozi is still so young and you have so much room to grow. So we're looking forward to being part of that journey. But share with our listeners, if they did want to follow up and learn more about all that you're doing, what's the best place that they can go? Yeah, definitely go to my website, sign up. It's free to sign up and to check out our deals. We have lots of things going on, but I also have 
for YouTube and a TikTok and I post on LinkedIn. I've been featured on TNBC and a couple other stuff where we'll probably do some more media appearances. I just love educating. I love just telling people things that I learned because I'm always learning new things and like realizing that oh, this is really good. I would feel like kind of a asshole. That's how I feel about these things oftentimes. So yeah, and don't have to invest. Just just you know continue to learn to be an investor because if you know your opportunity cost, you make more optimized decisions. Ang Tang, founder and CEO of Tozy Capital. Ang, thank you so much for being here and sharing your infinite wisdom with us and our listeners today. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 